This is Season 1, Episode 4 of Punk Theology. My name is Russ Shaw, your host. Today, Chris Cornell, depression, suicide, and what having meaningful relationships with friends can do to one's dark passenger. The crisis happens, though, when you hit your middle ages and you've been wrestling with those thoughts for so long and found no, as the Christians like to call it, victory. That really starts making you question your faith, right? You haven't found a way to transcend being human. So we're we're kicking this thing off. Recording recording is is taking place. Rubber band. You guys are funny. Get into that. But hey, uh, I wanted to bring up today because it's it's something that's kind of it felt like I punched in the gut this morning. Uh, Chris Cornell. Oh man. Was. Uh, pronounced dead 2.30 this morning, something like that. Uh, now they've called it, they've officially called it a suicide. Uh, Seattle rock legend. Uh, I, I I hold this guy, you know, Kurt Cobain was one thing. Uh, Chris Cornell. His voice was ridiculous. Extremely so talented. Yeah. <laughs> I think a guy like that is, like, talented. He's a handsome son of a bitch. And he's loaded. He's got a beautiful family. Like, yeah. why on earth would he do that? Exactly. You just don't know what you don't know. But it's just one of those sorts of questions by all external appearances he has at all. And yeah. He had been a mess for a long time. Yeah, he true. basically yeah. had said that his band had kept him alive for like 15 years. Mm-hmm. Like, they were active. Soundgarden or Audio Slave? Audio Slave. Audio Slave? Yeah. yeah. He said, yeah. Wow. They had, he also they was a part of uh, Mother Love Bone back in the day. Really? Yeah, he's... Uh, well, Andrew Wood from Mother Love then committed suicide yeah, or died. Yeah. Was it OD or suicide? I don't know. My <clears throat> hard to tell the difference sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's true. And there's both. Yeah, true. And some of that, you know, around here we have a high suicide rate. Is it the weather or what? I don't know. Yeah, it's the weather. Yeah. <laughs> we have a fence across the uh, 99 could bridge. Be the <laughs> yeah, that could be too. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of existentialism and uh, art. I don't know, but that's that. It was you know. So I wanted to ask you guys: Have you lost someone to suicide? Has that touched your life in in any way? I've lost people to abrupt and sudden <clears throat> death, but not suicide. I've, my best friend from high school, his dad killed himself, and mm. you know, 
you can see how that always sort of marred him and his siblings, especially maybe his older brother. And he himself struggles with depression. Uh, I used to do bereavement counseling groups when I was younger. Oh, wow. And in one of them, this little girl, I don't know, she's probably 10. Mm. She's really like cling to me. Like you remind me so much of Timmy. You know, she was just really affectionate. I was young. I was probably like in my late teens, early twenties and, uh, find her, you know, this little girl's story, like her brother, Timmy killed himself. And it was just like, man, like the affection of this beautiful little girl wasn't enough to keep him. But but you can't make it so simplistic, you know. Yeah. It's like, I think what we're finding out a lot about mental health, it's still stigmatized, unfortunately. But, I mean, you just got to ask, like, how is one dying or committing suicide any different from one dying of cancer or a heart attack? You know, is it, uh, it, it are these conditions... Um, is there a certain pathology to them? Yeah, uh, the, genetics. Yeah. It's funny you yeah. bring that up. I just <clears throat> came from a trip back from Minnesota. And my grandfather, this is not suicide per se, but he got cancer. And it was very treatable. Mm-hmm. And he just decided oh. not to seek treatment at all and just got it out until he died. And that's what he did. How long did he live? Nine months. Nine months. I feel like that's a valid choice. Yeah, Yeah. I know. All of us have seen people go through the ravages Mm -hmm. of cancer treatment, and still die. Sometimes it's worse. Sometimes that's what kills you. Cancer. Um, And so to just choose to avoid that. But that you could tie that back to suicide too, like you know, no, absolutely, just being miserable your entire life and super depressed. Well, that transitions into kind of my suicide stories. So when I. When I was in college, my first and second year, I had two suicides that juxtaposed to each other. They were very impactful and interesting. Um, one was I had a friend from high school that I was that I was pretty close with. I was involved in a lot of activities with, and um, he was a, he was a lineman on a football team. He was a very popular, socially gregarious guy, and uh, and he committed suicide his freshman year in college, um, and really impacted a lot of us um, and I thought that was a pretty big tragedy um, at the time and and I, I missed John a lot and then a year later my grandfather committed suicide and that, that came on the end of him spending like seven or eight years taking care of my grandmother through Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and, and what that entailed was him keeping her at home the entire time. She was never committed to a care facility. And and that That's if you haven't witnessed that yeah. that disease, it's awful. I mean, <clears throat> a, a person is stripped of who they are. They're stripped of a lot of dignity. And and there's this there's this strange middle period where they're still pretty functional, but they remember or some things and not others, like things that help you get through the day. Like I remember sitting at the table with her watching her forget how to eat. Like she she put her fork in her coffee cup because she didn't remember what it was for. Um, and he took care of her at home, and then three months later, um, he got all of his paperwork out, laid it all on the kitchen table, all of the house was clean, it was all in order, and he went out back and shot himself with a shotgun and tried to make it as easy as it could be for everyone else to deal with after he left. But he, I mean, I, I believe he felt like his 
his job was done. His life was fulfilled. He he lived, you know, and was married to one woman for 55, 60 years, and then decided he didn't have anything to live for. And I have a hard time judging that harshly. And yeah. I did then, even yeah. in my era of very rigid conservative Christianity, it was hard to look at that story and just think. Have you finished, have you gotten John very far into S-Town? Yeah, I'm about on episode four. Yeah, I just so actually listened to the suicide very episode. Very similar story. Spoiler alert. Uh, but yeah, uh, well, they're, they're, the, the S-Town podcast, uh, I don't want to say too much, but there's a suicide. It's actually really similar to the story you just shared, Arthur, of, of this guy taking care of his, his mother, and then he started mm-hmm. to it's revealed a little later to develop some really problematic health issues and 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 then mixed with his worldview and depression he just very he had it very well planned out and and uh, yeah and kind of iconically killed himself things like the Chris Cornell story make me question I, I don't know because I, I can ro- romanticize about those just, I guess, American ideas of, oh, it'd be great to have wealth and comfort. I, I don't want fame. That would be annoying. <laughs> but, you know, at least comfort and wealth and and not really worrying about anything monetary. But, uh, but it's just that, again, like what I was saying earlier, from all external appearances, this guy had it all. Yeah. That's and, the interesting thing. It's like that's what a lot of people think, too. Right? Right. I just interv- I interrupted you. No, you're fine. You had a thought, so you need I to get thought, it out. So I get it out. This is my ADHD, but I've, I've become um, – I know maybe I'm changing the subject here, but I know I'm throwing out another thing. Last night I went to a group called uh, Three Practice Group and, and was staying in the room with difference. And one of the things I realized in that group is my interrupting people – is a, is a communication flaw in me that I, I need to work on. But I think it, part of it's my, my way my brain works. Like, you just said something, and if I don't say it now, forget I'll it. forget it in, like, two seconds. <laughs> so so when you said that, um, it, it, it it's gone. peaked something yeah, for so me. Yeah. <laughs> so now you're now I'm, and say. now I'm right here, and I'm, I, I forgot what I was going to say. What, 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 <laughs> Start over, right? What was I going to say, John? John. <laughs> John, what was I going to say? I don't know. <laughs> oh, uh, my... Uh, we chase... Like, a lot of men especially think, all I need is to get that next promotion. And if right. I get yeah. this, then I'll be happy. Right. If I had enough money in the bank, oh, fuck, most of my problems deal with money. Mm-hmm. If I had money, I'd be happy. I think that... I thought that today. Just like, you know... Uh, I, Cash in the bank that would make me happy. Do you know how much money is enough? Just a little, a little bit, just more. Just a little bit more. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. And you always exactly. need just a little bit more. Yeah. Newspaper. It, uh-huh. The newspaper guy who said that was it from the, the second richest guy. From it starts with an H. Anyways, Hurst. Hurst. Oh, William Randolph yeah. Hurst. It's a little more. Yeah. <laughs> so I had a few in my life. My uh, my grandfather-in-law, my, my wife's grandpa. Uh, committed suicide with a shotgun in the backyard. Very similar. This guy was an engineer. He worked for Lockheed Martin. A very organized <coughs> dude. And he started... He was divorced, but he still had a relationship with uh, with my wife's grandma. And and they would talk, and he would come over, and they'd have coffee. And it was interesting. They just couldn't live together. They just couldn't stand to be in the same under the same roof. But he... I think he lost his car one night. And... 
didn't know where he parked it or something, so his mind was starting to slip. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when he just got all his affairs in order, went in the backyard, and 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 did it. Um, and that was it. Was really difficult. And that's one of the things that I think my old judgy Christian past used to say, and I still feel it. I'll be honest. There's still this trigger in me that goes, that's fucking selfish. Yeah. It's selfish, and it pisses me off when someone does that. But when I feel depressed to that point, <coughs> you know, I, th- I, I think that some of my thoughts towards how my kids would have to deal with it have kept me going. Yep. Um, I think and I don't know if that's that's not better. I'm not trying to be holy, Mister Fucking Holy, but there's there's that dark passenger metaphor. I heard a guy on the radio today use this metaphor. Yeah. Some of us have a dark passenger, and some of us don't. The Dexter thing, right? Yeah, or uh, uh, something from the past. Mm-hmm. This voice of shame that's in the head something that, that kind of says, you. "Hey, mm-hmm. hey, you know, you could just end this whole thing right now." It's almost like addiction. That's where I got with, with when I was in that redemption group with Leo. When I met Leo, uh, not, I met him before, but he was a redemption group leader at that time, and we kind of hit it off. And I, I think I got to the point where committing suicide would have been just as easy as, as taking another hit, or, you know, uh, some of my my sexual dysfunction is acting out in that way. Mm-hmm. This would be a, that would I could do, I could do it like that, and. That's what scared me. So that's where I sought treatment for that um, in therapy and stuff like that. But that's the interesting thing about mental health. And it's it's the depression, the dark passenger, is. it told me, I felt like it told me that um, it's a short-term uh, answer to a long-term question. Right, you have long-term issues and problems in your life. Life is about suffering. Here's a quick way to stop it. But then everybody else deals with the wake. Hmm. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, it's also a really nuanced thing. I think some people do do it because it's selfish. I think some people there was a interesting. I think it was a Freakonomics podcast talking about them interviewing the people that had survived jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge because there's a certain percentage that that survived. So they talk about it, and it was amazing how many of them. It was an impulsive decision, like less than five yeah. seconds. There was there struggling and with it, it. and it's kind of that you know I've had that feeling of hey jerk the wheel, like yeah. like no reason just appears in your head, and I think for some people it's super loud. Yeah, and it's. Yeah, and uh, and some people I think they're fighting it constantly, mm-hmm. um, and then other people it's just you know the depression takes over. Uh, they're you know sink into the yeah. dark. So it's one of those things that there's just so many different reasons, yeah. and it's also you know it's really hard to get hard data because you can't interview them afterwards. <laughs> they're dead. Right, you can't say what were you going through, <clears throat> what were you thinking? Because I heard no there's thirteen reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I went to San Francisco for my birthday late last year and walking across the Golden Gate Bridge about every hundred feet they have a sign like about every hundred feet hey if you're thinking about jumping then there's call boxes everywhere yeah. so it's a pretty common place for people to where'd you stay there? Uh, south of Market Okay. around that area I went to college down there oh did you? yeah I was there for four years maybe Sorry. Trump will save him and build a wall <laughs> yeah, so oh, they did that. So in Seattle, uh, the 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 Aurora Bridge has a fence across it that was paid for by private money. The company Adobe, if anybody uses you know Adobe PDF mm-hmm. files, that that company was right directly under that bridge. Um, I met a woman who had an office that faced the bridge. That 
uh, she went to Mars Hill, and she said that she personally saw like five people jump off that bridge. Witnessed this. Like she had to go see a therapist yeah. about it because it was that devastating. Just seeing people land on cars and, and in the water and just looking up and going, oh, someone just jumped off the bridge again. Mm. Like that is so messed up. But she, you know, she was so glad that they did that because it's just that extra little fence, you know, of, of not going to your thing. Norway had a bridge with that trouble and they put in blue lights. And everybody thought it was crazy, but it dropped it by like seventy percent. The blue rates. light, yeah, it was super weird. Just One blue lights, weird, yeah, blue oh. lights. So if you're feeling suicidal, look blue, at light. blue light. Yeah. <coughs> well, don't you know, Derek? The blue lights attract the angels. <laughs> if you don't have blue lights, you all don't I know get about blue lights is it's supposed to not die. You, you're not supposed to be able to sleep <laughs> after seeing too much blue light. So maybe, oh, well. maybe it just wakes you up. Yeah. There's yeah, also. Right. I, I haven't experienced the suicidal elements. I, I have experienced deep the despondency or episodes of it where I, I've have felt like, oh, geez, this is horrible. I can see how people would kill themselves. Like if I felt like this every day kind of thing, uh-huh. you know, just like I've, I've had bad days, one or two. I'm more prone to anxiety than I am depression, but I have experienced both. But when you look at mental health issues, there's something called intrusive thoughts that a lot of people struggle with. It's these yeah. thoughts that people, the, the, the term is called fusion or like you fuse to a, a thought. And the truth is everyone has jacked up thoughts all the time. I and mean, you can think any random things any number of, you know, yeah. but what makes it disturbing is when you actually fuse to it and you give weight to it and meaning to it. And then you start to, gosh, what if I could shoot up, you know, my kid's school? Like, I, you know, you wouldn't, but just the fact that the thought disturbed you so deeply is a sign that you never would. It's the people that aren't disturbed by the thought that you really have to be concerned about. But, yeah. but the fact that a troubling thought, well, would trouble you is probably a good sign. But some people, I think, oh my gosh, am I crazy? How could I be thinking this? And I'm the only person that thinks like this. No, everyone thinks crazy things. Yeah. The, the, the key is not to attach to it. That's where yeah, the trouble yeah, comes. Yeah, but, yeah I, I definitely have been there. Where, and, and the thoughts are just crazy yeah. and really intense and I just have to focus on like this is this is temporary right now I just got to get through the next couple minutes and it'll go away yeah. but I really feel for those people that it doesn't go away yeah. like I'm fortunate enough that it does go away but some people it just doesn't long term solution to a short term problem yeah. anybody else you guys Steve Chat. I've never I've never had anybody that I knew personally commit suicide um, I did when I was younger it was just, it's easier to end it all. You know, that was my mindset. You had suicidal ideation oh, when yeah. you were younger? Yeah. Uh, how young? No, uh, 13, 14 years oh, old. Oh, jeez, man. And it was, the crazy part was, you know, so we grew up with guns. And so, you know, we used them to hunt and stuff. And it was very easy. You know, it's, I know the combination to get into the safe. And there they are. And mm. it would just, it's easy. Um I never, obviously, I never followed through with it because I'm still here. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was just my mindset was just, yep, yeah, okay, we can end it today, and I don't have to wake up tomorrow. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Was it for any particular reason anything you're going through? Just my just, past. Yeah, okay. just all the bullshit that happened when I was a kid. Was yeah. that stuff you were dwelling on, or was that kind of a sub like a? In well, the it was in the moment. It was while it was all happening. Okay. Um, mm. And it was just that's how I get out of it. Yeah. So escape. Yeah. 
I remember hearing <clears throat> interviews with guys like Vince Neil from Motley Crue or Gene Simmons from Kiss about the whole changeover to the grunge scene in the early 90s and how that was really taking hold. And, and you know, that goes into, like, the thing with escapism that you had with, like, the 80s, uh, you know, hair rock and stuff. And <laughs> Vince Neil's like, well, you know, what's the deal with grunge? Like, yeah, like... Everyone knows life sucks. That's why they go to Motley Crue concerts and they bang a hot chick and drink some beers. Because life sucks. So you go to Motley Crue or Poison and, you know, yeah. it feels better for a few hours. But these people with their flannels, you know, they want to, like, dwell in it. And, you know, it's all rainy and shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. You know? yeah. It is a good point. Like, something about that that decadent escapism that at least 80s glam rock offered. And that's another form of suicide, right? Like, it's like a slow... Uh, so Ozzy Osbourne did a song. I remember it was suicide. highly criticized. Yes, you know, back in the eighties, <laughs> it was heavily criticized by the by the Christians. You know, uh, oh, he's satanic. He wrote a song called "Suicide Solution." If you listen to the lyrics, or if you Google the lyrics, it's about killing yourself with drugs and alcohol. Yeah, it's a slow. He talks about you know it being a slow death, um, and I've witnessed a lot more of that than I have. You know, anyway, I interrupted you, Chuck. Did I? No. Oh, sorry. He finished his thought, and I. No, I'm like hypersensitive. No, I'm hypersensitive to my interrupting people. You well, start interrupting fucking people by asking, uh, put you in time off. That's right. Yeah. Well, think, uh, I, I think about it in terms of, of vices, maybe addictions, where I don't know. Imagine being wealthy and having a lot of time on your hands, and you can't even like chill and enjoy couple glasses of wine with dinner, or, you know, yeah. and it's like just the lifestyle, I suppose that would agree just without the downtime and then, oh, I'm addicted. So I can't enjoy little pleasures here and there. Well, gosh, that almost seems like that would just be a horrible existence. All the means to whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. But, but getting into them takes you would a bad kill place. You, so, yeah. so you can't do it. But just you, sitting there thinking about it all the just, time. Yeah. yeah. I've heard, I've heard guys talk about that in groups um, with codependency, where guys were married to someone who just wouldn't let them go out and hang with the guys. And guys need that. I'm going to say that right here publicly. I think a lot of guys need that. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that. So, my, when I met my, my yeah, when end up in jail. When I met my wife, my, I had a party at my house and some of my friends came over. And my friends at that time weren't the kind of people that my wife had ever experienced. Because some of my friends were actually shooting up and smoking crack in the bathroom. And that freaked her out. Mm -hmm. Like, she's like, what is that smell? And why did they lock the door? I, I, I get it. A is that a, <laughs> yeah. Why does he have a needle in a little box? Why is he making, oh, that's why called is a he kit, honey. <laughs> that's called a kit. You never seen a kit? No, what is that? Does he? Does he? Have, you know, he's diabetes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's his, like, it's his no, it's, it's, it's not. Spoon? It's his insulin. Oh, the spoon. I don't. Yeah, know. the spoon. Do you have an extra? Spoon? They didn't ask for a spoon, but that could have been. That wasn't. That was the people I hung out with. So my wife having those kind of thoughts towards me going out and hanging with the guys, are you know, understandably could rise some fear in her. But you know, once you mature and you start hanging around with people that are you know more healthy. Um, it's not just good morals or whatever, but people that aren't trying to 
live the maybe the Motley Crue slow death <laughs> lifestyle. But anyway, so that's my point is that there's guys who need this kind of thing. They need to hang out with other guys. They need to hang out with people who are like minded. They need to get some of that shit that's inside them. That's just the, you know the stuff you don't talk about. It's like fermenting inside. Just to, just to talk about it with other people is is powerful. Do you see that article I posted the, online about how? The number one thing killing middle-aged men isn't any sort of chemical dependency or you know vice. It's loneliness. Yeah. It's the number one killer of middle-aged men. Yeah, it is crazy to me just thinking about you know all the men that I knew growing up that were my dad's age and my dad, and they just didn't have real solid friends. Yeah. They just kind of did their own thing and and you know hung out at home and did projects at home and. And but they didn't. There wasn't the meeting with a lot of frequency mm-hmm. that I can really remember, or even the poker night where it's just kind of everything surface right. and we talk about the Seahawks and that's about as deep as things go, right? Most dudes work and then weekends for the family and you know Johnny has soccer practice and yeah. no, that's uh, that's a week. So what do you think that is? Fear. <clears throat> I think it's hard to connect with people, though, sometimes. Like, you're pretty fortunate if you find people that you can actually... I mean, even this, starting this podcast, we just said, we're going to do it on Thursday. So now we're meeting every Thursday, right? Like, we've done this before, and it was always kind of sloppy, and we're trying to... We're all trying to get our schedules to mention. I'm working. What are you doing Wednesday? Or, like, I can't make Wednesday, and then we... You know, okay, like you would text me like, like a Tuesday at ten. Yeah. Hey, what are you doing? Want coffee? Like, no, I'm knee deep in reports, and I'll text you on a Friday morning. What yeah. are you doing? I'm working. Yeah, I'm driving. Yeah, yeah, schedules meshing and yeah. stuff, and family. But, but, but community group was a great example too. Like community group was Monday night. We just did it because that's what we did Monday night. It was you know the church thing. Sometimes things like community group, as much as I enjoyed it, are can be contrived or. Uh, you're forced into quote community with people that are more friends of of proximity than they are friends of affinity. You know mm. that can happen. I don't know. I view this as my community group. <laughs> yeah, Seriously, amen. Don't call it that. I'm going to quit coming. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> because I think for me to come here and realize that we're all dealing with the same shit. Because. The law, we were talking earlier before we started taking the law of gospel law, is that, well, you're thinking that thing, you know, it's not be right. You need to go to community group. Or you need to go to our men's Bible study. Yeah. Or you need to go to our men's breakfast. These are all things that Christians do. Christians well, like and, and do. That, was, that ties into a point I was thinking of is how many men who are Christian think they're getting relationship because they're involved in community group, yes. community group, because they go to Bible study, because they show up at church in the morning and talk to people for 10 minutes before the service starts and 15 minutes afterwards. And then you find out, when you really think about it, what real depth... What do I know about or this as, person? Or as, yeah, or as John talked about, do you actually have affinity with this person or is it just a shared agreement and a construct that brings you together and so it makes you feel like you belong... But because there is no real depth to the relationship, it's it's a it's a bad impersonation. <clears throat> well, church uses that good. verbiage, and I I think I've shared that before. Where I feel this about where I go to church is there's actually a handful of people, a few guys I actually really, really sincerely enjoy. Mm-hmm. And but by and large, though, I don't know. 
it's like I kind of see the people I go to church with is family. And I might have half a dozen, eight, eight, nine crazy aunts and uncles. It doesn't mean I want to hang out with them all the time. It's like, you know, it's fine to have, quote, you know, a meal with them around the table as in like, you know, communion. But but aside from a meal once in a while, yeah, I'm good. I'll see you later. I'll see you, I'll see you for the next time we feast together. What's but, the common denominator for those that you feel drawn to? Well, stuff we talked about, being able to... Be yourself. I think sometimes it's just kindred spirits. Being safe. Safe. Yeah. yeah. I think. I think. There's something to be said about safety. I think mm. there also another factor is a lot of people just don't know how to do this. No. Like it's easy to underestimate. We've had a lot of practice doing this. Uh, we've been put in positions, you know, in yeah. our lives where, where we've figured out how to do this. And a lot of people just, they don't even know. They don't even know what button they're supposed to push to let that stuff kind of come out. And it takes some work and some effort. And some practice to get that going. Because and, I, and you have to be in sorry. a safe place, too. And that's, you know, some guys don't even have a safe place to practice. Yeah. No, and now you got me thinking about jumping in over people. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's what, for me, it was. it's taken me forever to get to that point. It wasn't until I met Russ that I really felt free to express every day, almost, not as much now, but every day it's a choice, I'm going to be faithful. Well, I saw you, you know, a few weeks ago for the first time in like, like two years, and you yeah. were like, the first time I met you, you scared the shit out of me. Uh-huh. Like a little innocent me, like what? I had no idea. <laughs> like, but you, you told me I scared you. That's where you were a couple years ago. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not there now. That's good. No. I'm glad it didn't scare you. <laughs> no, you don't. Just a little bit. How much does insecurity drive that for men? Like, because I, I think there's kind of a. A thing that happens with men is they they find something they master. So for a lot of guys, they have a career where they find something they're really good at, and maybe they don't feel as comfortable at church. They don't feel as comfortable at home being a parent. They don't feel as comfortable being a friend and a kindred spirit with someone. They have this thing they're good at. They throw themselves into that, and then they're just insecure about it. It's almost like, you know friend dating like they, they can't put themselves out there right? yeah. <laughs> bromance we can't get the bromance going in the dude I like uh, mandates <laughs> there should be a mandate app right? it's funny it's funny that that's Tinder, a word too. It, today that that's a word like if two men really hit it off we call it a bromance <laughs> because we don't it's, it's a little it's a little clear maybe to use that word not that, that two men that is a gay thing but the queer culture, queer just queer is like punk for gay people. I had a passenger today that was sharing with me this new thing. It was an ad on Facebook, and it was like a, uh, it was like a shirt and shorts that are all one thing. Oh yeah, the oh, romper, the romper, the romper, the romper. The romper that's right. <laughs> and I'm like, that is not. I don't think a straight man would ever wear that. And she's like, yeah, this is why my uh, my gay roommate shared it with me. And I go, see, there's a, there's something in it, it remind me of punk, right? Or punk rock. There's something in in punk that you know the the mohawk, the colors, the looking strange. There's something like that going on in queer culture, mm. and then and then it ties back into male culture, where it's almost outside the norm or countercultural to be a good friend with another dude, right? So we made up this word bromance, isn't mm. that? I don't know, that's just something that I observed. So it would queer be like throwing your sexuality out there just to mess with people and kind of try and 
just <clears throat> mess with the system. Yeah, maybe. I think so. I think that because it makes you know yeah. it makes so many people comfortable, and you kind of like making people uncomfortable, so you're just kind of yeah. messing with people. I, I can just, relate to that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like what Arthur said about uh, insecurities being the barrier to relationships, especially with guys, because we don't we're dudes we're comparing. I mean, Chuck and I would meet at uh, the Buzz Inn for Thursday night fish and chips, and it was it was I look forward to those times. I look forward to that night of hanging out with guys. I've never hung out with a group of guys that I could be totally butt face naked with mm. emotionally. You know, sure. Hey, what'd you say about comparing? I didn't get that. Comparing what? Uh, shit, I don't know now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of stuff. Stuff. You said, you said yeah. comparing. Like, what, like comparing what? If that comes back to you, I'd be curious to be to unpack that. Yeah. I always wondered if I, I mean, I've joked that I can be a little bit, maybe have more, for lack of a better way of putting it, feminine energy, or I've joked that, you know, I'm really a lesbian trapped inside a man's body, or, <laughs> or, or maybe like more like European, you know, I can be the cigar guy, the the coffee guy, the let's hang out at a cafe and chill, you know. Leather fanny pack. No, I don't go that far, but <laughs> it's a European carry-all. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, most most of the times, in that article I just referenced was, was talking about that, where men usually need a thing to do like hey let's play soccer or let's play golf or I'm building a deck will you help me out and there's a place for that stuff that stuff's great but where I tend to value and thrive is more with the face to face just hey let's just hang out well just even a, our hangout has a thing we do cigars and we yeah that's true drink nice whiskey and yeah wine. You can't, no just, can't, yeah, just you can't just sit there. <laughs> that what is this cucumber lime ale from from Bad Jimmy's and Ballard? I got the, the cucumber lime ale. I think it's a huge part, you know, when you share your story, and the first thing out of people's mouths sometimes are jokes. You know, they're mm-hmm. trying to make light of it because they either don't know what to say, they're going through the same shit that you're going through, or they just think you're fucking nuts. Usually, it's not the last, but it can be. Um, and then, so then you have to protect yourself because why would you want to hang out with these people and just have them make fun of you the whole time? Mm. I came out. I like it if they can make fun of themselves too. Yeah. Like yeah. I can be in a place where somebody's joking back and forth with me. If they're like comedians, I think of uh, Louis C.K. has a TV show where it's the, these all these comedians and they they're going through their stuff and they're all fucked up people, but they're comfortable with being fucked up people and they make jokes at each other. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's shallow, like kind of you're saying, but there's also a an energy to it that's also accepting. Yeah. But if everyone's just making fun of you because you shared something deep or they feel uncomfortable about it, I think men do that. Like, is that what you're getting yeah. at? Kinda? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I think, so I grew up in a culture that was very, I don't know if you heard the phrase, you know, the, the tall nail gets the hammer. Right. Where it was just constantly cutting at each other. And right. anybody that, that kind of stuck themselves out there got crushed by everybody around me and we're just sticking to these topics type of things and you know if you brag about something bam like we're going to make fun of you but it also worked and if you're vulnerable about something bam we're going to take care of that right now we're not doing that uh you know we're all going to take oh, a yeah. turn whacking at yeah. turn whacking at you yeah um because you because you were the you tall, shared a vulnerability you're, yeah you're the tall yeah. male for a second so here comes the hammer and uh, i think there's a lot of that uh going around in, in male groups yeah and there's a time for it you know it's sure but with men, I think we just keep continue to take it too far. Yeah. yeah. And some men fight. Like, I've, I've 
been friends with, on Facebook, social media, with some people like in Boston. <clears throat> and, and people in Boston are just very raw. Like, they'd rather fight each other than... Or I think people in Seattle might just leave... Like, <laughs> right? They're just slowly not come to your yeah. thing anymore. Yeah, like, where's Bob? Make, uh, make Bob doesn't come anymore. Oh, well, you know, fuck Bob. I guess he's not coming. <laughs> Where in, in Boston, Bob would actually say something, and then there might be an insurance claim. Well, there's a wife asked me. I was talking to my wife about this, and she said, so what do they do? And a couple of you guys, I didn't know what he did. And my wife goes, how do you do that? How do you not know... What everybody does. I go, because I don't, it's not a big deal. It's it not the primary big, thing that defines no. you. Man. She goes, there's not a chance that I would come out of a group being together for a couple hours and not know what everybody did. Different between chicks and dudes. Well, no, I think men are like that, though, because that's a common be, yeah. question. What do you do? Yeah. What do you do for work? But it's one of the, the details are not always quite as important. Sometimes. Or interesting. Right. Yeah. yeah. I like when you ask my kids what I do. <laughs> it's always interesting. Well, you, you draw. Yeah? <laughs> yep. I draw for a living. <laughs> and I write. But I don't like the books you write. <laughs> Remember in the late 90s? The worst bedtime stories ever. Early 2000s. <laughs> or the bathroom zombie. That's true. In the late 90s, early 2000s, there was an evangelical culture. I don't know how, if I interacted with it today, I don't know how I would respond to it. But there was, remember John Eldridge? Yes. With Wild at Heart. Yeah, that's, sacred romance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John John Eldridge seemed like an There's interesting something romantic guy. to that. He started to make idea. inroads in kind of those yeah. male on male conversations. That, I don't know what transpired from that or what fruit came of it, but it seemed like he at least was was a person that was trying to engage and have some interesting conversations. He started well. He helped yeah. my journey. Oh, did he? Yeah. Because I liked his, I liked a couple of his books. I remember <clears throat> I listened to his audio tapes of his Men's Weekend. And they're doing men's things, sitting around a fire, riding horses, shooting guns. I mean, I remember I was over at my brother-in-law's in Spokane and shot a gun for the first time in my life. And I'm like, my dad was not a gun shooter. And I came away from that thinking, oh, man, that was adrenaline rush. <laughs> Just shooting something. Well, Elridge, I remember in one of his tapes he was saying, he, he goes, I just got to be honest with you guys. When I got up to speak tonight, the voice in my head says, what do you have to say? You are so full of shit. You have nothing these guys want to hear. And I like, okay, now I'm grabbing onto that. Because it was that... Vulnerable. Vulnerable. And all yeah. Yes. And I grew up in a society, and in the, even in the church, well, you didn't do that. When I look back at the guys that, that pastored me, the guys that were youth group leaders, I'm like, what did they, what shit were they hiding? <laughs> you know, but they couldn't, they either didn't have anybody that they felt safe enough. <clears throat> and I've had a couple of pastors that felt safe enough with me. To share, uh, but how lonely would that? Yeah. yeah, Russ and I, we had a conversation about that. We went in depth about that, where one's livelihood, their profession's attached to their behavior, mm-hmm. and it just breeds yeah. In, yeah. lying and yeah. <laughs> faking. And- you know, I don't know what to do with that or what the answer to that is, but. That's there for sure, it, you know. I, and those, and, and sadly, that's speaking of Chris Cornell and suicide. A lot of those, there's a lot of suicide in the Christian community. It's not just a, 
secular thing. And there's pastors who commit suicide. Really? Yeah, because of, they can't share, you know, stuff like that. <clears throat> well, that or is porn it? addiction, or I like looking at boobs, and I can't tell anybody that. And if I do, I'm a sinner, and I'm just and the shame young. just cascades on itself. I think the shame is a big voice of the dark passenger, you know, and, and getting doing something like this is breaking that. Because then they'll ask, "Am I saved, or am I as oh yeah, you as, as reform people? Am I elect?" Because I'm thinking that, so maybe I'm not. Maybe uh, I'm not saved again. So maybe I need to get saved again. Uh, because they're having those thoughts. And that's no. That, didn't say the prayers. Or you got to go to the next conference. There's another yes. conference, Steve, in three weeks, and you just hold yes. out for that and one. Travel get that to Denver hit. for it. <laughs> that's right. Because well, that's where that. he's coming, or she's coming. Uh, <laughs> I think the uh, the crisis happens though when you hit your middle ages. And you've been wrestling with those thoughts for so long and found no, as the Christians like to call it, victory. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that really starts making you question your faith, right? You haven't found a way to transcend being human. Whoa. <laughs> what are you placing your faith in? I think faith is a thing that everyone has. We just, we're, most people aren't honest about where they put it. You know? Like, my faith is in just keeping quiet and being, you know, towing the line or, you know, that's what I put my faith in. So you shared something, Steve. This is I think that what we're talking about here is getting out of the, the realm of crutches. Oh, see, segue. I just went no. to segue. Do you like that? Boom. <laughs> the segue. So crutches are the things that we use as we put our faith in. I got a crutch. And a lot of people will use say that religion is a crutch. I I probably agree with a lot of those people. Um I'm. I believe in Jesus. I'm, I would consider myself a Christian. I'm not a real religious person. I'll be honest with you. Religious people have a hard time with me. And that will conclude episode four. We got into this conversation Thursday. It went more than a couple of hours. So I chopped it up into some pieces here. And we get into episode five, which will title Crutches next time on the Punk Theology Podcast. Wanted to thank listener Carlton for donating five bucks a month to the patron Patreon account and being a patron there. Uh... Yes, I know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Carlton. Yes. That's enough. <laughs> All right. So what about you? If you want to help give to the podcast, keep it rolling down the information superhighway, put a little gas money in the tank, as it were, uh, punktheology.org.com.info. You can find us there and donate to the podcast there, or you can find us on Patreon. There's also a new uh, Facebook page that you could like if you uh, search that out on Facebook. Just search Punk Theology, and you'll find us uh, right there on Facebook, the new page. Also, at Punk Theology Pod is the Twitter handle. Thanks again for listening. Uh, subscribe if you haven't yet. Uh, if you could please leave a review of this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, or Overcast. Man, we'd certainly appreciate that as well. And if you're one 
like I've been in my life, where that dark passenger is nagging at you and the dark clouds and the rain just seem to never stop or let up. Um, 1-800-SUICIDE is a number that I, your host, Rush Shaw, I've called that number. Um, there's no shame in that, picking up the heavy phone and asking for help. Um, I didn't necessarily call it because at the time I was ready to off myself. I actually called it because they can get you in touch with mental health professionals for free. Um, There are grants, there are programs out there, there are generous people who can steer you in the right direction for getting really quality mental health. And it may take you shopping around some, all right, and finding the right person for you. But on the other end of that line, there can be someone who can connect you with a mental health professional that can really, it's done wonders in my life just in the last, you know, three or four years. Um, I wanted to leave you with a song that is another song that's helped me over the years. It's by a, a punk pop band back in the 90s called Good Charlotte. And I love this song because that holding on one more day, one more hour, when the clouds are looming in and things feel cold, you know, hold on. Walking, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there's something to that. Just holding on, hold on. I remember being in prayer, just ready to end it self-conclusion and feeling something in my spirit say, just give it one more day. Just hold on one more day. There's a friend of mine I've met recently who's also been in this very dark place and has said something. He said something that stuck with me. He says, action changes things. You know, that that phone may be really heavy, but again, action changes things. And if you struggled with depression, man, I I want you to know I, I love you guys. I've been there. I know that. Listen, you are not alone. Every one of us in the punk theology group there knows that feeling, what that feels like, the pull of self-conclusion. Hold on, man. Hold on. Here you go. The band's name is Good Charlotte, and the song is called Hold On. Until next time, bye.